0: Turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 24. will commence reading at verse 13. Let's hear the word of God. Luke chapter 24. Commence reading at verse 13. And behold two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him concerning of Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which was early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so, as the woman had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and stow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. For it is toward evening, the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread, and blessed it, and brake, and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way? And while he opened to us the scriptures and they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them saying, the Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in the breaking of bread. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 35 and we pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. For a few moments, let me just speak to the young people and the boys and girls who are here. You're well aware we've been thinking about a little series of messages that we've entitled, The Gospel in the Farmyard. Now, I've brought someone with me today He's in this bag. Hopefully, he'll be very quiet. I'll we'll do see if he can come out. Oh, hello. This fellow's called Dave the Donkey. And he's come to visit us today. And here's just another little impression of Dave the Donkey. Do you know, boys and girls and young people, that the donkey is associated with the Easter story. In the days before the crucifixion of Christ and his resurrection, Christ arrived in Jerusalem not on a horse, not on a fancy carriage. He was sitting, the Bible tells us, on the colt of an ass. And we read that in Matthew chapter 21. It says, "'Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied,' And a colt with her, loose them, and bring them unto me. If any man say, aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the foal of an ass." So in this farmyard series, I want to take you to a farm in Jerusalem that had not only an ass, but the colt of an ass, and we'll call the colt Dave the donkey. Now, I want you to think of the character of the donkey, because the donkey, even though it's a domestic member of the horse family, is not like a horse. It differs physically than a horse because it's smaller and stockier. Some would even say the dunker's stronger than a horse. Now, a male donkey in the Bible is called a jackass. Did you know that a female donkey is called a jenny or a jennet? A colt, like this fellow, is a female donkey's baby donkey. That's what a colt is, boys and girls. So you've got the mummy and you've got the baby. The mummy's called an ass and the uh, baby is called the colt of an ass. A burrow is a wild donkey and you'll find that mostly in Spain or in Mexico. And a mule is different again, the offspring of a male donkey and a female horse. But the donkey, you see, it's known for its service. It's good for hauling loads of burden, and that has been true since the dawn of time in 400 BC. Do you know that the donkey can carry twice its bodily weight? A donkey's known for suffering. It's a very hardy animal, and even if it's sore feet and sore teeth and weary, it it, it works on really till it drops. A donkey, of course, is known for its stubbornness. And you've heard the saying, you're as stubborn as a mule. Uh, can be obstinate. Uh, won't budge or move, uh, even if you give it 10 carrots." A donkey's known for its stoicism. It's not easily startled. It's got a, a limited fear threshold. And uh, it just stands there. Uh, uh, even in the face of danger. A dunker is known also for its serenity. That means it's a very lovable animal. It forms a great bond with other animals and very affectionate and very peaceable. And that's the character of the donkey. And I want you to think of that because I want you to think of something else. The choice of the donkey. You see, not far from Jerusalem, in the Judean hillside, there was a farm. And in that farm, there was a male donkey, and there was a female donkey called an ass. And also then, one day, there was a little colt born, and we'll call the colt Dave the donkey, all right? Now, I've only made that name up because it's not in the Bible, all right? I'm just calling it because it's easy for me to remember, and it's easy for you. And I want you to think of Dave playing with the other little colts. And they chased each other around the farm. And then when they were tired, they rested under the shade of a tree. Dave was the smallest. Dave was the youngest. But Dave was also a dreamer. And you can think of Dave at the farm. Hee-haw, hee-haw. One day I'm going to carry a heavy load. Maybe even one day I'll carry a king around. And then they would have laughed. Dave, you'll never be able to carry a heavy load. You're too small. And you'll never be good at anything. And Dave, you know what? You'll never carry a king. Do you know why, Dave? Because kings don't ride donkeys. They only ride horses and then fancy chariots. But you know, one day at the time of the Passover, near this particular farm, in the outskirts of a village, the mummy and Dave the colt were tied up together. And all of a sudden, two men appeared. And they started loosing the ass and the colt. And of course the owner come out, we don't know his name. And, and he says, where are you taking my ass and my colt?" And this is what they said. The Lord had need of him. And Dave the donkey was introduced that day to the Lord Jesus. He would have looked into the face of Christ. The face of Christ would have looked into little Dave the donkey. Kind eyes, a gentle touch, so full of love. Now Dave the donkey had never been written before. He had never, ever carried a load before. Not of coal, not of peat, not of rocks from the field. He he never had a burden on his back. He had never been ridden before. And of course, to ride the colt of an ass that was just growing up and never had a rider or a burden on his back before would have been a very dangerous thing because what would have happened Not only would he have sounded hee-haw, but he would have bucked up like buckaroo and you'd have been off on your back. But that day the Lord Jesus sat on this colt's back and rode this colt into Jerusalem. Could you just picture that? As that little colt entered Jerusalem and the crowds were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David and putting down palm branches and putting down their coats for the Lord Jesus to walk over and they were shouting blessed is the king the one who comes in the name of the Lord and if you'd ever talked to Dave the donkey later on and asked Dave the donkey what was the most important act of service that you ever did he would say one day I had the privilege of carrying the king on my back to Jerusalem I carried the king Now I want you to think of one other thing. We can't really see it here if it comes up on camera. Um, But did you know that a donkey has a cross on its back? Sit, Dave. The shape of a cross, if you look very carefully, is on the back of a donkey. The bearer of burdens was born to carry the burden bearer to Jerusalem. You think of when he brought Christ into Jerusalem, what happened? All the leaders met Christ, but they didn't cheer him. They cried, crucify him. And this king that Dave the donkey carried, he was crowned, but not with a golden crown at this stage, with a crown of ugly thorns crushed onto his lovely bride. And they didn't lead the king to the throne room. No, they him to the, led him to the tree where they crucified him. And you can imagine this story being untold even in animal language in the animal world. The king was dead. And then all of a sudden the message comes through. The king is alive. He has risen from the dead. It's wonderful what you can learn from the animals. The donkey was an animal for service. It suffered much, but it was known for its stoicism. It was known for a spirit of serenity. But this animal was chosen, not a horse, not a fancy carriage, but a simple donkey that was looked upon as stupid and obstinate, That was the very animal the Lord chose to carry him to Jerusalem. He chooses the most strangest things to bring out a lesson to teach us all about honesty and humility, to teach us the heart of the story is always connected to the cross of Christ. Now, this Easter Sunday morning, My text is taken from Luke chapter 24 and in the verse 34. It reads as follows. Luke 24 verse 34. The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. Now I've entitled this message, The Saviour's Resurrection and Simon's Restoration. Now these words were spoken by the followers of the Lord Jesus in a particular home in Jerusalem, probably near midnight. Think of the two from Emmaus, a husband and wife team. They had returned from their home in the darkness of the night to tell the disciples of what had happened to them on their journey home, how a stranger had met them in the way, how that he had reproved them for not knowing and understanding the scriptures, how he had opened up the Bible to them, and they experienced spiritual heartburn as he talked to them, by the way, and how they constrained them to come in and had a meal, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Did they see the nail prints in his hands as he broke the bread? Can you picture them making the seven-mile journey back from Aeneas? It's dark in the night. And they're, they're excited to get to Jerusalem. They're, they're, they're full of joy. They're, they're not tired. They're not sad. They're not heartbroken or dejected anymore. And as they come into the house, just about to share this news, they're told, as they can enter through the door, before they, they say anything, the Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared unto Simon. Now let's recall the facts according to the scriptures. Think of the Lord Jesus and his 11 disciples making their way from the upper room. They sing a hymn. They cross the Kidron Valley. They're heading for the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the ease of the Passover. The Lord Jesus leaves eight of his disciples at the gate. He takes Peter, James, and John with Him. He instructs them to pray. Watch ye and pray. He withdrew a little bit further from them. A stone's cast, the Bible says, entered into the most intense, earnest time of prayer that he ever had. Sweated as he were, great drops of blood. He was in spiritual agony. And after prayer, he he turned and they were asleep. And he said to them, could you not watch one hour? Rise up, the hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And immediately... Judas Iscariot appeared in the company of priests and soldiers, staves, lanterns, and swords with them. Judas Iscariot stepped forward and kissed Christ in the cheek. He he called him Master. Christ was arrested. He was taken to the palace of the high priest Caiaphas. That night, contrary to Jewish law, an unjust trial took place, the first of three trials in the life of Christ. The first trial was with the Jewish leaders, then Pontius Pilate, then to Herod, then back to Pontius Pilate. All the disciples fled. Peter followed him afar off. He entered the outer court. As he warmed himself at the fire, he was challenged three times that he knew Christ, that he was one of his disciples, that he was with him. And the Bible tells us he denied with oaths and cursings. He protested. I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. Three times. And at that precise moment, the Lord Jesus was being led away from the Jewish leaders to be tried before Pontius Pilate. And we are told that as he was led away, he turned and he looked at Peter. Not a word was spoken. Just a look. He, he knew everything about Peter. He had heard all that Peter had said. He could repeat the very words that were used in denial. And as the Savior looked, Peter felt sick in his soul. He had the awful pain of denial burned into him. He fled the courtyard. The Bible tells us that he wept bitterly. And then he said, I go a-fishing. By Friday morning, the crucifixion scene followed after his death, Joseph of Arimathea begged the body of, Punch, uh, of Christ from Pontius Pilate. He took it down. He carefully wrapped the body after the manner of Jews for burial. The body was placed in his own tomb in a garden there by fulfilling prophecy. Christ was with the rich in his death. It was the Jewish Sabbath. The Jewish Sabbath was from 6 p.m. on Friday to Saturday 6 p.m. And then on the first day of the week We really call Sunday Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James Salome, Joanna came to the tomb It was early One question was on their mind Who will roll the stone for us From the tomb when we get there When they got there they discovered The stone was already moved At that point Mary Magdalene Left to get Peter and John to tell them they were not expecting the resurrection the body's gone somebody's stolen it they've taken away the Lord and we don't know where they've put him and to the ladies that were left the angels came as they approached the tomb and looked in ye seek Jesus of Nazareth he is not here he has risen as he said come see the place where the Lord lay. Like, behold he goes before you into Galilee there shall ye see him why Galilee many could vouch for him there they could have for his physical appearance and true identity. The same Jesus that was crucified was raised again. It was after two years and a half of ministry there. Many miracles were performed there. Then the scene shifts in the Bible to Peter and John racing to the tomb. And what they saw? The grave clothes. You've got to think of... Christ revealing himself to Mary Magdalene in the garden. She was the first to see and speak to the risen Christ. Then the scene shifts to these two and the road to Emmaus. The sad journey, the stranger in the midst, the opening of the scriptures, the heartburn, the invite home, abide with us. The the breaking of bread, the, the, the near midnight journey, seven miles, it takes two and a half hours at least to get back to Jerusalem. And when they enter in through the door, They hear this wonderful message. The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. Now I want you to think of three things very quickly this morning. Think of the historical reality of the resurrection. Think of this saying, the Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. You see, what is Easter story all about? It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So if anybody ever asks you, young people, what's the resurrection all about? Here's the answer. The resurrection is about Jesus Christ risen from the dead. It's not just about Easter eggs. We all love an Easter egg. It's not about bunnies or parties. It's not just about donkeys. Although it's interesting that the donkey was used about the birth and connected with the death and resurrection of Christ. It's not just about a sign of life. That's important. It's not just about having hope in darkness, and that's an important concept. It's far more than that. It's far richer than that. It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, bodily, literally, physically, tangibly, and that's important because the resurrection is not a conjuring trick with bones. The resurrection has nothing to do with hallucination. It's nothing to do with a mere spiritual body that you can't see, feel, or touch. No, it has to do with the very body in which the Lord Jesus was crucified in the tree, and that body with all the uh, hallmarks of, of his sufferings on it, actually, literally, raised again physically from the dead. That's what we mean. In this church, and that's what every Bible but even church should mean, when they speak about the doctrine of the resurrection. Now, I emphasize that because that's important. It was Dr. Torrey that said, resurrection is the foundation stone of all Christian doctrine. It's the Gibraltar of Christian experience. It's the waterloo of all infidelity and human rationalism of thought. On Wednesday night, and let me just mention this, I set before those that gathered for the time of prayer seven lines of evidence for, present, for, for the resurrection. Here's the body of evidence that could be presented in a court of law if we were asked to, to defend the doctrine of the resurrection. Let me just give them to you. The stone rolled away. Did you know the stone weighed about two and a half tons? Several men would have been needed to move it Think of the Roman seal in the stone Think of the Roman soldiers And it took the angel of the Lord To move the stone Not, Not to let Christ out But to let them in to see Think about the empty tomb Where was the body? The disciples We could ask them the question Were they prepared to die for a lie That they had stolen the body? They said and witnessed He's alive, he's risen from the dead If the Jewish authorities had taken the body away, why did they not produce the body? Whenever the disciples started preaching, he's alive and he's risen from the dead. Here's the third line, the grave clothes. That's what Peter and John saw. The linen cloths, the napkins. The the, the word saw there uh, in verse 8 of John 20 means to see with the understanding the body was gone. Literally the body had rose out of the grave clothes let's say grave robbers came and stole the body, would they take time to remove the grave clothes? Would they wrap the napkin and put it neatly where it should have been at the head? Fourthly, think about post-resurrection appearances. Mary was the first. Think of his appearance to his disciples when Thomas wasn't with them. And then his appearance to the disciples Eight days later, when Thomas was present, think of his appearance to the seven at the Sea of Tiberias, including Peter. Think about the appearance to the two on the road to Emmaus. His appearance to Saul of Tarsus. His appearance to Simon. We're going to see that in a moment. His, His appearance to 500 at one time. All different personalities. In a wide variety of circumstances. And those post-resurrection experiences, the witnesses can be brought and they can say, we seen, we heard, our witness is true. Think about the changed lives of the disciples, fifthly. See, they were not expecting the resurrection. But they were all convinced it had happened. They were all changed and transformed. They were all witnesses to the one fact. Jesus Christ was risen bodily from the dead And they were willing to die as martyrs as a result Think about the change of the day If you think of it says here in Luke chapter 24 Now upon the first day of the week Think of that It's mentioned again in Acts 20 verse 7 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2 Why the change? Remember they're Jews And they, they, they celebrate the, the, what we call the Jewish Sabbath But now they're worshipping God on the first day of the week. Why? Because they're remembering and celebrating the day of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. It's called, historically, the Sunday, the day of the sun. Think about the seventh line of evidence, the claims and teaching of Christ, his miracles, his messages, his ministry. Think of him to Thomas the doubter. Not just a teacher. Not just a good man. Not just a gracious leader. One full of love and compassion. What did Thomas say when he was invited? See my hands and my feet. Handle me and see. He knelt at his feet and cried out, My Lord, my God. And that's why Josh Madol in the book, Evidence that Demands a Verdict, said that there's only three possibilities. Christ was either a liar... He was a lunatic, or he was Lord of all. But the historical evidence is here. It's the best attested fact in the whole of history. It can stand up in court. We can set it all out. Listen to these words of the Lord Jesus. Over there in in John uh, chapter 11, remember what he said to Martha and Mary after the death of Lazarus? He said this, listen to these words, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this. Can you say with Mary and Martha, yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the, the world. As we celebrate Easter, And we rejoice with family and friends, and we have fun and fellowship. We have feasting. We could even talk about we've got our faith. But what is our faith in? It has to be in Christ, in his atoning death and bloodshedding, and in his bodily resurrection from the dead. Remember the historical reality of resurrection. What does it say? The Lord is risen indeed. What does that mean? It means he bodily, literally, tangibly Rose again from the dead The same body in which he was crucified Is the very same body that was raised again from the dead And I emphasize that for this reason That there is largely denied today The second thing is this The homely testimony of restoration Notice these words Verse 34 And hath appeared to Simon Now now let's pause for a little moment I want you to think of Simon's failure. You see, you've got to go back. Over there in Luke chapter 16 and in the verse 22, this is what we read from the lips of Simon Peter. He said this, Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. You see, Simon didn't know his own heart. Simon was full of pride, Simon was boastful. He felt he was strong. Remember, he was asked at Caesarea Philippi, whom do men say that I am? They answered, Elias, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, John the Baptist, risen from the dead. He said to them, but whom say ye that I am? And they answered, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, blessed art thou Simon, son of Barjona, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to thee, but my Father which art in heaven. And then we read there in verse 21, these words. From that time forth, Jesus began to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and rise again the third day. Then, that means at that moment, Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, it shall not be unto thee. And what did Jesus say to Peter? He turned his back to him and said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savourest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. See, Peter's heart was not right. The heart of the gospel is something that Peter didn't understand. The heart of the gospel is to do with the death and resurrection of uh, of Jesus Christ. And Peter was slow to understand this, slow to listen, slow to, to grasp the significance in the garden. Remember the mob that came? What did Peter do? He wanted to fight. He, he got the sword out. He cut off Malchus' ear, the servant of the high priest. See, he, he was thinking about a political savior. He wanted one to push and drive out the Romans. He, he wanted one to, to ascend to the throne now. And there was a failure in his part. Even though he confessed with his lips, Christ is the son of the living God. He didn't really know him. His heart wasn't right. And you know, that's like many today. They profess with their lips that Christ is the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world. But their heart isn't right. They don't really know him. They haven't grasped the full significance of what they're testifying or what they're saying. Their hearts are cold. They're they're really backslidden. They're full of their own ways. And that's the failure of many. And that was Simon's failure. Very quickly, Simon's fall. He was guilty of Crimson sins You know the Bible says Pride comes before a fall He was guilty of what we would say Open flagrant sins in his life They stood out As I've said he was pride He was full of pride He was rashful He he was boastful Remember he said Matthew chapter 26 69 to 75 You can read it I'll not read out the portion for time But this is what he said when pressed I know not the man He cursed he swore. He lost his temper. He used an oath When he was challenged, thy speech betrayeth thee. It was a reference to his dialect. They knew he was from Galilee. It's like meeting a man from Belfast in New York. And you say to him, where are you from? And he would say, I'm from Sandy Row. Well, you would know exactly where Sandy Row was. And you would know he was from Belfast. Immediately he denied the Lord with oaths and cursings, protesting, I know not the man. The cock crew. The Bible tells us in Matthew 26 and 75, Peter remembered the words of the Lord Jesus. You'll deny me three times. Here's the true state of your heart. You'll deny me three times. Before the cock crows. The cock crew. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. See, let me stress this. The Lord sees your sin and mine. We profess to be his, but many of us, our hearts are not right in his sight. And we're full of, we could say, failure. And we're destined for a fall. Peter's chief sin was denial because he had a proud heart that was boastful and didn't know his true heart. Maybe you have opened secret sins this morning. Maybe you're a drunkard secretly. Maybe you're living a life of fornication. Maybe you're in adulterous affair. Maybe you're a secret gambler. Maybe you're addicted to pornography or, or lust. Or your chief sin is pride and you have a love of self. Well, I have a message for you this morning and it's this. The Lord knows all about your sin. You're, you're hiding it. You're thinking nobody sees and knows. But the Lord knows. David made Uriah the Hittite drunk. David delighted in Uriah the Hittite's wife, Bathsheba. David had a hand in Uriah the Hittite's death. These were crimson sins. They stood out. And what did he testify 11 months afterwards? Against thee, thee only, have I done this evil in thy sight. You see, he recognized that sin was against God and God's holy law. And that's where true repentance starts. Recognizing what sin is. Recognizing you can't be saved without realizing your sin and repenting of it. Simon wept. The Lord sees your tears. That's a sign of realization, that's a sign of recognition. That's a sign of repentance. I have sinned. Lord, I'm truly sorry. Lord, I've failed. Lord, I've screwed up. Simon's fall. Are you at that place this morning? Notice also here you've got Simon forgiven. Have appeared to Simon. Isn't that what the Bible tells us over there in the book of Corinthians? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we read these words. Listen listen to this. Verse 5, and that he was seen of Cephas... Then of the twelve. The word Cephas, of course, is another name for Peter. You think of him having a private meeting with Peter. When did it happen? Where did it happen? What was said? I don't know. The scripture is silent. But I have no doubt it was on a wonderful encounter. And isn't it lovely when the Lord Jesus comes and meets you privately? Say your quiet time. You're trying to read the Bible. You're offering prayer, and he comes alongside and talks with you, by the way. He comes in grace. He displays such love and tenderness and such affection. You see, Peter felt the pain of his public denial. Peter was overwhelmed with guilt. Peter wanted to flee and hide. Peter was full of shame and and heartbrokenness. And Peter said, "I, I go fishing. I go back to my old trade. Peter wept, and yet you want to ponder this morning the love that the Lord had for Simon Peter, a fallen disciple committing such great sin, denying him with oaths and cursing and and, and, and being full of cowardice and, and a fearful man, going back fishing. And yet Christ appeared to him. Does not show the love of Christ? Does it not show that love is stronger than death? Love is stronger than denial. And if you've denied the Lord, he still loves you. Stronger than desertion. Because this man deserted Christ. Stronger than depravity because he'd sinned against the Lord. The Lord took the initiative. In grace, he made the first move. Isn't it interesting nobody else is named? Those took him through the door. The Lord hath appeared to Simon of all people. He was really saying to Simon, I'm still your Lord. I love you. No matter what you've done, you've forsaken me. You've rebelled against me. You've forgotten me. But I haven't forgotten you. I haven't forsaken you. I, I love you. I've come to renew you. Also think of a public meeting. The Sea of Tiberias. It is recorded in the Bible. Peter's denial was in public. So the Lord Jesus met him in the Sea of Tiberias with seven of the disciples, including Peter. It was an after breakfast speech. Think of this the fire. Remember, it was lit, the fire of coals. Was it not a reminder of that night when there was a fire and Peter was warming himself by there? Was his conscience not pricked and stirred? Think of the fish. Remember, Peter said, I go a fishing. He had quit. There's no hope for me now. I- I'll go back. Think of the flames and the fire. They they, they stirred his heart and mind. Think about the facts of the breakfast story. Lovest thou me more than these? More than these fish? More than the bread? More than the, the disciples? Three times he was asked, Lovest thou me more than these? That was one for every denial. You think of Peter. He was downcast. He was depressed. He had thrown in the towel. He had already quit. And the Lord come and publicly appeared himself to him. Maybe you're here this morning. You're listening to me. And you're suffering physical sickness. You've got illness in your body. You're depressed in your mind. Life for you is full of difficult circumstances. And you're in the middle of a storm right now. And you're ready to quit. Maybe you already have quit. Now, I've given up. I want to tell you the Lord knows. The Lord sees. The Lord loves you. He's not condoning your sin, but he's not condemning you. He's not nagging on. He's not harping about what you did in the past. The Bible says you not always chide. He not always keep anger. The word chide is an old word for scold. And mummies and daddies don't always scold the children. At times they do, but they don't always do it. At times it's needful. Why do they do it? They do it in love. But also... It's only for a limited period. And the Lord comes in gracious love to restore even Peter in a real public fashion. Remember David, when he counted the children of Israel, he acted foolishly. We should learn the lesson that numbers don't count. And what did the Lord do? He sent pestilence. And David said he would rather fall into the hands of his maker than the hands of men. Why? Because the hand of his maker is more gracious. In Jeremiah 18, when the vessel was marred, the potter didn't throw it out. He didn't cast it away. He reshaped it. He made a new vessel. And that's what the Lord does. Think of Simon's future. The Lord hath appeared to Simon. Why? Because he had a work for him to do. What did he say? This is important He said feed my lambs John 20 and 15 The first thing he said Isn't that interesting? Not the sheep The lambs Start with the children The Sunday school work The children's ministry The youth We have an awful responsibility And that's what we're seeking to do here In our church And carried off at this minute in time Simon's future Feed the lambs And then twice Feed the sheep not only there was a work, there was a witness. The Lord Jesus said he would eventually die the death of a martyr. Wouldn't be easy for Peter. He would be tested, there'd be trials. But never again would he ever deny the Lord with oaths and cursings. One final thing, and our time is gone this morning. The humble, humbling security of realization. Remember what I said about the two on the road to a mess? Husband and wife team, seven miles there, seven miles back. A long journey that day, 14 miles. They were sad, discouraged, and heartbroken. Is that a picture of you and the journey of life right now? Are you full of sadness, full of tears, depressed, dispirited, unbelief, feel you you can't go on? What do you need? You need the Lord to draw near Not the Lord who was crucified just, but the Lord who's risen from the dead. He he was with them most of the journey, probably for about two hours. See, the Lord hasn't forgotten about you. The Lord won't forsake you. Oh yes, we can forget him and forsake him, but he'll not forget you, not forsake you. He'll not disappoint you, because when he comes, he comes to talk to you. He comes to give you spiritual heartburn. He comes because he cares. He comes and appears. Here's the cure for laziness. Here's the cure for lax loyalty. Here's the cure for sin and folly and failure. A sight of Christ. We're going to sing in a moment just a couple of verses. I serve a risen saviour. He's in the world today. You see, there's a thrilling note here. The Lord has risen indeed. He's defeated death, he's defeated hell, sin the grave. Isn't that thrilling to hear as you come through the door into the house of God? The resurrection was God's amen to Calvary. He totally accepted the sacrifice of Christ. Isn't there a truthful note here? Indeed. Certainty and confidence the evidence is so overwhelming no room for doubt isn't there a triumphant note here and hath appeared to Simon Simon behaved like the old man is that where you're at this morning you're behaving like the old man You're not praying you're not attending as frequent to the house of God as you ought to be You're you're further away from Christ than ever. You're drifting spiritually. You're neglecting the book. All because you've fallen in sin and you're overwhelmed with guilt. Well, the Lord knows where you're at this morning. And the Lord can meet you, like he met Simon, to bring you to himself, bring you to the place of rededication, bring you to the place of redevotion, bring you to the place where you're determined the place where you should be to walk and live for Christ. There's the humbling security of realization. There's something thrilling here. There's something truthful here. There's something triumphant. There's something testimonial. May the Lord burn into our hearts these words. The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to you this morning.